Being French, I'm going to start with a quote from Marcel Proust from Remembrances of Times Past. And the reason is it happens right at the end of this huge novel. And it's set in the salon of the new Duchess of Guermantes. And the narrator, who is really a sort of character for Marcel Proust, comes into the room and he sees in that room people whom he would not have expected to be invited in this great salon, and other people who are conspicuously absent. And of course, it's because the year is 1915, and in 1915, France was at war with Prussia and with Germany, and uh, it's now described as a war that could have gone either way, but there was a moral stance, and it was not on the side of Prussia. On the side of Prussia. And I think we have come now to a comparable, pivotal moment uh, with the invasion of Ukraine and that we have to rethink our friendships, our alliances and uh, to, to sort of uh, be ruthless in saying that that was then, this is now, let's look at who, who is on the side of Ukraine and who is susceptible to Putin propaganda. Um, I worry, to be quite honest, at our unpreparedness. Unpre uh, of course, you know, you have the practical and physical unpreparedness, which is, for instance, the incapacity of our nations to wean themselves from Russian gas and Russian oil. And I would like to say that France, uh, for all its fault, uh, which many people here will remind me of, um, is better prepared than most because we, we have a nuclear industry. We haven't managed to have it uh, destroyed by the Greens. We closed down one single nuclear plant, the oldest, to, uh, uh, to carry out uh, rash promises during electoral campaigns, but this is over. And actually, Emmanuel Macron promised, even before the crisis, that his, in his second mandate, if he gets one, which he probably will, France would build six new generation, quote unquote, mini nuclear plants. Plants. That, quite frankly, is one of the best things you can do against Russia, because right now French electricity is about, you know, over 60% of French electricity is produced by nuclear energy, which is both green and um, not Russian. Uh, that really matters a lot. If you look at Germany and you look at foreign policy in Germany, it is entirely created, as you know, uh, by complete dependency and cravenness towards Russia. Um, but, uh, and I'm going to sort of expand a little bit more in, uh, at the end of this, um, in our, uh, sort of on our side, the conservatives, and especially French conservatives, their attitude to this has been shameful. Uh, and it is part and parcel of the way we have lived in, in a false uh, feeling of security uh, for the past 70 years. Uh, the West does not know how to handle the situation which the entire thing that we call now an education has not prepared them for. We've been taught irony, or rather I would call this a debased version of true irony. True irony is the irony of Russian dissidents and Warsaw Pact subject nations. But today everything is a joke, but no joke is insightful. And for all the talk of fake news, nowadays people do not know how to rec recognize propaganda. And the result is not just a lack of understanding of what this crisis is about, but it's also a lack of moral fiber. And as usual, those we call ordinary people have better instincts, and now we need to reconnect. And if people call this populism, let them. 
Let, I'm now going to talk about the specificity of the French situation. As you probably know, we have a presidential election, um, which is in two rounds, one to sort of pick the two people who are going to slug it out two weeks later. Uh, the first round is on April 10, the second round is on April 24, but then we also have a legislative election one month later in which we uh, pick uh, candidates for the House. And while it is probably now a given that Emmanuel Macron will be re-elected and because of Ukraine, and not entirely for bad reasons, um, I will uh, explain a bit more about that, but let's look at the situation. For all the heartfelt reaction of the French who've been taken at Ukrainian refugees and who really uh, sort of feel that this is something that's unacceptable, you still have a lot of large French companies that have remained in Russia. I understand that this morning, Total Energy, uh, the large oil and energy giant, decided to clear out of Russia, and that's the least they can do considering the extremely strange death of their former chairman on an airfield in Russia because of an accident. Um, um, but uh, still they've taken the decision, but you still have in uh, Russia right now, Sanofi, the um, medicines giant, Leroy Merlin, the do-it-yourself large company, Renault, the cars, Auchan, large chain of supermarkets, Schneider Electric, which is a, an electricity company, AXA, the largest insurers in the world, Société Générale, a large bank, Danone, the people who give you yogurt and other things, Decathlon, people who produce uh, sports equipment, uh, Novartis, another uh, medicine laboratory, and Crédit Agricole, strangely enough, France's largest bank, although you may not have heard of them. And the question is going to be, how many of these companies are going to still be in Russia next week? Um, social media, which has been extremely important in, in this crisis, has named and shamed them, and I've repeated the list because I too want to name and shame them, because it's a moral stance and uh, it's the moment when we've got to sort of change our paradigm. Ever since the oil crunch of 1973-74, our presidents and prime ministers all over Europe have been tra become traveling salesmen, which did not used to be the case. We were suddenly found in a situation that in some ways is comparable to today, except that it was the oil cartel uh, of the Arab countries that after the Yom Kippur War decided to, to uh, essentially blackmail uh, 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 the West. And that was not a moral position. I don't think we reacted very well. Apart from launching the French nuclear program, France also sold excellent Mirage planes to Colonel Gaddafi of Lydia, of other dictators. We sold our armament to practically anyone, and I can single out the sale of uh, super étendard planes and Exocet missiles to Argentina when an Exocet missile sank HMS Sheffield uh, during the Falklands War. President Mitterrand, who every now and then did the right thing, uh, had to quietly pass on the schematics of the Exocet missile to Mrs. Thatcher so that no other British plane, a plane of a close ally, um, could, could be, a, a ship could be sunk by French weapons. But that was, you know, after, after not having considered the moral implications of all this. Uh, it's... We now have lived in a quiet world thinking that wars were things that happened on other continents. It's very obvious that this does not happen. It's also very obvious that Russia is a totalitarian system and that its character, even though it's no longer 
labeled as communist, it has not fundamentally changed uh, as, uh, uh, you know, from human rights to the uh, respect of sovereignty. So how do our politicians behave in this? And this is where I, I'm going back to the uh, salon of Madame de Guermantes. Uh, there are people who were part of the conservative family. There are people, candidates to the French presidency who now have taken unacceptable positions. And I'm rather happy to report that uh, uh, the actual voters have noticed this. Not everyone, but the actual voters have actually noticed this. Eric Zemmour, who was the brightest new star in French conservative politics, who was leading a fascinating uh, and extremely competent electoral campaign, many aspects of which were comparable to the way Donald Trump surprised everyone uh, in 2016, is now out of the race. I think he was always underrepresented in polls, partly because pollsters need prior data and prior sociology of the vote to be able to balance the raw data that they collect for the current election. But even if he has been underrepresented and, that the, and if the 10% that he's given as uh, polling today may be 13 or 14% in reality, people are ashamed to say they vote for a right-wing candidate. It, the trend, the downwards trend from his height at 19% cannot be discounted, and that happened solely at the time of Ukraine. That is a really encouraging in some ways phenomenon because that means people are, are shocked by the fact that he said uh, that France should not take a single Ukrainian refugee and he had said in the past that Putin was a great patriot and France needed its own Putin. Um, he, that's, that's a moral stance. The other reason, and it's a good reason in some extent, is this is a man who is, and, and I know him, I've been on some of his previous shows uh, on television, he's an excellent political journalist. For 30 years, um, he wrote for uh, the French newspapers, mostly Le Figaro, and uh, he knows French politics very well, but now people want a president who will be a president uh, for a, a continent at war and who knows more about foreign policy, and that is where he failed. So you've got a combination of a moral stance and the attitude that this is not the man we want to send to Putin because he has been too sympathetic and he doesn't quite really know foreign policy. This is sad, but that's it. Marine Le Pen, five years ago, got a loan from a Russian bank based in Budapest because no French bank would give her a loan for her campaign. That French bank felt that they had to virtue signal uh, and, and sort of not finance a candidate who was standing uh, second in the presidential race is in itself a bit shameful. But all the same, she is tied to Putin. There are pictures of her with Putin, and she also has suffered, even though she probably will be in the runoff on the 24th of April. Uh, we also, you know, the, the French left, uh, hard left, and the French hard right are sort of good examples right now of the horseshoe theories that the extreme get together. We have a candidate who is going up in the polls, uh, who is the hard left candidate, Jean-Luc Mélenchon, and he's not part of our family. But uh, he has been defending Putin as well. He now says, no, I just don't like war. And when people say, I don't like war, it's essentially, it's a, I don't want to condemn Russia, you know, one, you know, 50, half, half a dozen of one and six of the other. Uh, and he, his voters are sort of 
swinging voters, these are people who in some areas of France have voted for Marine Le Pen, but they will vote for him because he is somebody who is against the established system. We've got to be aware of all of this. And I'm now coming to Emmanuel Macron, and um, any, anyone who reads the Telegraph know that we're not especially kind to, have not been very kind to Monsieur Macron in the past, and probably will not be in the future, and I myself have written at least half those pieces. But... Um, at this stage, Emmanuel Macron, who first went to see Vladimir Putin on 5th of February on his own and essentially spoke for five hours, you've got to slip that in, in, uh, split that in two because you have the time of translation, but still two and a half hours, a whole session that lasted five hours is a big thing. He came out, he got nothing, he said he got something. He was contradicted during the press conference just after uh, his long visit uh, uh, um, uh, by Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister, and he was ridiculed. Two weeks later, having enough int intelligence that uh, he knew that the invasion was imminent, uh, he consulted with everyone, with you know, Germany, uh, America, and as people at the Elysee say, even with Boris Johnson, the situation is too bad, too dire. And he went back to Russia trying to get something uh, across, which did not work. But now, I did, the first time I criticized him, this time I don't think it's worth criticizing him because by now he has got the measure of Vladimir Putin. He is not a stupid man and uh, he has realized that this is a brick wall and it's a totalitarian brick wall. Uh, the, uh, the fact that right now, because of the change of power in Germany and because of the energy situation of Germany, France is probably the leading uh, diplomatic uh, uh, leader nation in, in, in Europe, in the EU, uh, also means that it's important that somebody by now has got the measure of Vladimir Putin. And therefore, uh, I can no longer say that I criticize Emmanuel Macron, even though I disagree with most of his other decisions and the way he handles the presidency. We now are in wartime. I didn't think I would, I would come to this conclusion at, you know, at the European National Conservative Conference, but I think the situation has changed everything. And uh, I stand with Ukraine. I think all conservatives should stand with Ukraine, which is a country that has shown us what true national values are and is shedding its blood in horrible situations because of that. And um, that is, I think, my presentation. I will make, a sh I think we should all make a sort of sharp division between the people who stand with Ukraine and the others. And even if the others are good friends and we may uh, encounter them in the, in the future, right now they are not on our side.